Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, a.k.a. Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's LaMarvelous. Thank you, guys. Welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Sunday night. You are listening to the Monday morning recap show. So it is uh, Monday, September 21st, 2020. And uh, the Baltimore Ravens are 2-0. and Second straight year, they start out 2-0. and Third straight year. Mm, I don't know, Jim. Is it? Yeah, I think it might be, right? 2018, because they started hot in they 2018. Started, yeah, they did start well in 2018. Flacco looked really good in the very beginning of the season. So at least three years in a row. We'll we'll get it on the old. The, yeah, the problem is it's impossible to fact check that or it's look at it. Very difficult to. Very difficult. Yeah. But yeah, it's that was fun, man. The Texans had a lot of energy and fight, and they were you know popping pads, hitting, and Deshaun Watson was on some Superman kind of game today. The classic. Holy crap, how is he not the biggest guy in the world, but so fucking strong? Uh, pocket presence back there, stiff-arming people, juking people out. It was very impressive, but in the end, the Ravens just outclassed them. Uh, I felt like the coaching staff outclassed the Texans, and they just kept rolling. And there was a couple times where, you know, things felt, yeah, the Texans might have a chance here, and then the Ravens just shut the door every time. It was consistent, and it was so fun to watch. Yeah, it uh, it certainly did feel a little bit tighter than it should have at times, I think. Uh, but I don't know, man. I think we kind of both touched on that in the uh, pregame show that we both did, um, especially with our score predictions. I, th- I think I had 33-23. You had something similar, 33-16 maybe, or 37-16. Uh, you know, just the ability to put some points up, regardless of how close the game feels or actually is. Just a little bit of respect to Deshaun Watson, I think, was due there. And uh, he, he certainly came through on that, man. Like you mentioned uh, looking like Harry Houdini out there at certain times. It was ridiculous. He always has that special ability. It's, it's you know, him, it's Mahomes, it's Jackson, it's Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, those guys, the 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 new quarterback. And the entertainment value is outstanding. The play where he rolled to his left across the sideline, they're going towards the uh, freaking light, I can't think of the right word, end zone that has the little retractable thing that you can see in the top of it. And... Watson rolls to his left, knows he's going to get crushed and throws off of his back foot, gets all the torque he can into it and threw a 
ice cold rope uh, on third down too, I believe. And third and long. Yeah. And that was definitely one of the most impressive plays of the day, if not the most impressive plays of the day, but the Ravens had one of those games. that kind of reminds you of like Seattle last year where dudes on both sides of the ball all over the place. were just making plays. Willie Sneed, LJ Fort, both of the cornerbacks, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Chuck Clark was everywhere. It was, it was a whole effort and guys weren't always in sync offensively. It felt like the entire time, the offensive line, you know, feels discombobulated, but working it out at the same time. And then in the second half, they just ran, they've got their groove and ran right over the Texans front after a while. And uh, guys made plays all over. Pat McCarry comes in for one snap in, in the fourth and one on the wildcat, him and Pat Ricard just sealed the deal. Holy field. Holy crap. Mark Ingram could have ran 15 of himself through that hole. And it was, it was one of those games where the Ravens were just clicking. Guys were making plays. It was fun, fun, fun to watch. I had a blast. Yeah. It's interesting that you uh, frame it like that. And I do think you're right, but uh, there was also some angst with it, uh, with the way that it was playing out. Felt like they should have been pulling further away. And I think that's partially a function of Ravens fans being somewhat spoiled over the last, however many months of this team, just absolutely steamrolling uh, other squads and uh, particularly in a game like this where you can tell there is some difference in quality, I think the Ravens are a much better team. There were some points where it's like, all right, they kind of need to put their foot on the gas and pull away here, and they finally did. And they did it in a way where it wasn't last week against the Browns where the offense is just completely out of their mind, totally clinical and surgical. There were some hiccups. The offensive line in particular struggled at certain points. But uh, I was thinking a little bit of the uh, the old Bruce Lee quote. Be water, my friend. Just be shapeless, formless, do what you have to do. It's like you talking about being flubber on defense last year, just having zero form until you need to have one and uh, just executing in whatever whatever way you have to. The Ravens, they were water today, and they took on the form of the uh, container or whatever it might be that they needed to be to win. So uh, they went ahead and uh, got the victory in an unconventional fashion, one that uh, the offense, like I mentioned, didn't look especially crisp at certain points. Um, and yeah, it was just a, a very complete team win in that way as you're making uh, some very interesting faces there. Uh, well, I'm sorry, I can't keep my jaw closed. Quandre Diggs just hit Nikhil Harry in the most disgusting way possible. Is, like, Did he get ejected? Because I see him walking off. The he floor. had to have. It wasn't like a, a, I don't want to call it a dirty hit, but it was the one, you, the, the one they went out of the NFL, just it was helmet in the neck. Like, targeting or whatever. It. it, it it's not even that Diggs was trying to hurt him or anything. He was just trying to hit downhill and hit Nikhil Harry straight on. Definitely kind of like almost scorpioned him in a without his whole body doing it. Like you see his neck kind of fold back. Really scary stuff. So that's why I was looking like I saw a ghost. Uh, hopefully they're both okay. But yeah, you mentioned Flubber. You mentioned the ability to move and transform. And uh, the, the defense still really at this point, and it, as well as Greg Roman's offense, they both are just so damn versatile. Pat Ricard lining up everywhere, Nick Boyle doing multiple, multiple things, and positionless football is the name of the game. We see LJ Fort, uh, Daniel Owosie from Baltimore Sun. Oyafusi. Uh, Oyafusi from friend, Baltimore Friend of the show, he's, he's been on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was a great insight. Definitely give him a follow on Twitter. Um, read his stuff. He's awesome. Him and, him and Jonas both do a great, great job. Young guys at the Baltimore Sun, both studs. But... He mentioned that he saw LJ Fort coming off of the edge. LJ Fort rushed off the edge, back-to-back snaps. You know, Judon, whereas we talked about how last game he uh, he dropped back into coverage 19 times today. It felt like he only dropped back maybe like 7, 10 times. Rushed the passer a boatload. 
So those guys are able to do different things weekly and you can truly adjust based on your opponent. And when you have that capability, it's, it's chess, man. And Wink Martindale, Greg Roman, you know how much fun Greg Roman's probably having up there in the booth. Like at this point, year two of his offense, he just had the offense that led the NFL in scoring last year. Again, they're coming out of the gate, putting up back-to-back 30 plus performances. And uh, it's funny because you mentioned, you know, the Ravens fans, we feel a little bit spoiled now because of this team, but back-to-back weeks, putting up over 30 points and it feels like there's a lot to improve on. And that's the scary thing. That was, yeah, that was probably one of the, and we'll get into this, but that was one of the, what you got to assume is going to be one of the street fights of the season. And they walk out of it several scores ahead. You know, they just complete in every facet, but there were some aspects where like, yeah, you could have tightened this up. You could have done X, Y, or Z better. But, uh, I mean, the scoreboard kind of speaks for itself here, man. 37-16 is the final score, or was it? 30, 31-16. 31-16, okay. 31-16, yeah. You, well, yeah, you were struggling with the final score there a little bit on Twitter, so maybe we shouldn't look to use the uh, the source here. But I, I honestly <laughs> started looking at the thread. Uh, the gentleman, I believe his name was Dan, Daniel won. Dan he actually did Abe's win. House. We did have a winner yeah. this week. So Yeah, Dan Abehouse, shout out to you. Uh, Abe's House, you Crushed it, 31-16. I started looking at him. A lot of people, me and you both too, Jake, talked about like scores in the 30s and the 20s. In my mind, I was like Zach Galifianakis in the hangout. Yeah, the, the gift. <laughs> That's the best. That is one of the best gifts on the internet. <laughs> I, it truly was just individual numbers and me adding in my head and being like, wait. Yeah, except, it, instead was, of like. Uh, I was like, wait, what is the actual score? I had to look up at the TV. I was looking at my phone like a friggin' millennial. But um, it was it was. Very, very funny five minutes for me personally. Listen, it was a long day. It was a 425 kickoff. What do you want from us? I was I was in office at good old 5 a.m. this morning, crushing Louisiana Tech, Southern Mississippi. Well, your voice has a little bit of a grovel to it that I'm not used to hearing. It's like a, a modern-day Tom Brokaw. I'm kind of liking it. I'll see what I can do. I'll, I'll tire myself out, see how I can get my voice going. We'll, we'll keep it going. Yeah, you know, Daddy slept in a little bit um, until oh. about 10 a.m., but then I got up, got some stuff done in the basement, watched a little golf, uh, and yeah, this was, uh, I'm not usually a fan of the 425 game, but I, I kind of liked it today. This was perfect this week. It worked for me. Yeah. As Cam scores a touchdown there. And he's yeah, we're, we're getting a little early scoring. Nice. Got 21 points on the board already between the two teams, New England and Seattle. Uh, hashtag let Russ cook. This is going to be a fun one, man. That's already getting right. insufferable. I'm sorry. Seahawks Twitter. I love you. You're very intelligent people, but can we calm down with let Russ cook? Come on. I mean, Russ is going to post a cheesy ass Instagram soon with him wearing like it's a chef's Mr. hat after Unlimited. he throws for five hundred yards and five touchdowns. He's Mister Unlimited. Tell yeah, I'm he's about to do something goofy with that. Oh, Kim. Oh, Jim. I don't know. Did it get it? Speaking of speaking of Tony, uh, we did get to hear the very tail end and then overtime of that Chiefs Chargers game switched over on CBS coverage. And shout out to Tony Romo saying Harrison Bucker, best kicker in the NFL, which what he did was very impressive. But it was not six field goals in Detroit with a 61-yard game winner. Uh, the entire offense. So yeah, we actually got a question. Easy there, Tony. One of our Twitter Harrison, questions. Harrison's great. One of our Twitter questions was about that. What's you know what's going on with the disrespect for Tucker? And I, I was driving home from my brother's house, so uh, I didn't hear that that part of the broadcast. But these guys, these guys don't know. Like nobody outside of Baltimore really knows about Tucker. And like. That is what it is. I think it, there's some positives. I don't know, man. He's always on the check down and stuff. He's always he has a lot of viral. Yeah, videos. I mean, he's about as viral like and as famous. He's about as viral and famous as a kicker can be, both for how good he is and how marketable he is and how much he puts himself out there. But there, there's just an absolute market cap on that for a kicker. And uh, while he has reached it, I don't know if he's ever going to exceed it or if anyone ever is, because you would think a guy like that would be 
just unquestionably like seen as the best, but he's not, and it is what it is at this point. We're probably not going to see him get his due for at least another couple of years, if ever, unfortunately. I think we'll go in the Hall of Fame, but I just like the way, I don't know, week to week, I don't know if you're going to be hearing broadcasters like breaking down kicking and being like, oh, no, I'm going to push back on you there and say like, Justin Tucker is actually the best kicker. It's just a throwaway line. It's fine. It's whatever. Speaking of Justin Tucker, Kevin Harlan did everything in his power to try. He was he's like, he's 33 for 33 from this part of the field. He's not missed in however many times. And me and my brother are just like knocking on wood every single time. That's my Kevin Harlan. yourself in the head. He, he said that uh, Tucker had made 63 consecutive from inside of 40, I think. And he wouldn't stop talking about it. And it was, and the Tucker had one that pulled just a, or faded just a little it bit. Was and close. It was close. He tried to miss that one. Yeah, Kevin Harlan was had a little doll up there that he was poking with needles of Justin Tucker trying to see what he could get everything he could to get Tucker. Knock that one in there just by the hairs of his chinny ching chin. That's my Harlan, by the way. It's a great Harlan. I love Harlan. Really, is a lot of fun. That uh, I I was talking about this on Twitter as well. That Ingram run that we're going to get into. That is the next time I make a new intro. That is going to be in there. Yeah, the Ingram quake, the freaking earth shattering wildcat. Big body with Lamar out wide was spectacular, and I kind of do want to see if I hope I hope we get one one reception for Lamar Jackson for like eleven yards this season. They should sign Joe Flacco back to have him uh, throw it to him. That would be incredible. It'd be sick. Uh, yeah, so I guess like we can get into the recap proper uh, here. We wanted to yeah. start it off with obviously a little bit of news, some unfortunate news. Tavon Young, one of the Ravens, uh, you know, top cornerbacks essentially is out for the year with a left knee injury. Went down early in the game, uh, went out, didn't look very good, and uh, we are now having confirmation he is out for the rest of 2020. His second uh, season-ending injury in as many years, and his third and four. Yep. So, so very unfortunate. Has, uh, been been an injury plagued career, despite I mean nothing but competence and high level play when he's on the field. Um, he fits into the the blitzing style nickel that they love, the creeper blitz, so so well. It's very unfortunate. Luckily, they've kind of built uh, those hybrid DBs and Jimmy Smith now. You know, taking a lot of snaps out there at safety. Deshaun Elliott coming off the edge, Chuck Clark. So I mean, as Deshaun Elliott said, next man up. It, it is the way of the world in the NFL when you play a sport. Uh, any, I mean, any sport, but when you're playing NFL football, your your body's going to be on the line there. And he just had a really unfortunate collision. It felt like when you, if I'm not mistaken, he kind of dove out of bounds, like trying to make a play on. He was the trying ball. to make a play, yeah, and he came down on a weird. Yeah, and he really slammed his knee really hard, is what I recall vividly. And uh, we were we were hoping it was just a bruise or something like that, or you know, like Mahomes last year displaced his kneecap. That's a very painful thing, but it does not take as long to recover. So hearts go out to Tavon for sure. Uh, a baller, but it, it really stinks. Really, really, really stinks. And now we're going to have to see Marlon Humphrey in the slot. We're going to see Anthony Averett getting a lot of usage. I, I don't know what they're going to do with the safeties as far as Elliott and Clark. I don't know if they want to stick them in the slot necessarily. Uh, they will play there. They will play boundary corner as well at times. Uh, but in the end... Tough, tough loss, tough loss. It feels like if that becomes a problem, then Eric Tacosta is going to do something and have to make a move somewhere. And that might not be, you know, the worst thing in the world. But at this point, they've they have the number one defense in terms of cap dollars, over a hundred million dollars dedicated to defense, and the most expensive secondary as well. Part part of me, the Dolphins might be because they're two corners, but up there for sure. So it's it's definitely a very frustrating loss. And you could tell how frustrated Tavon was. The guy worked his tail off to get back. 
and was playing at a really high level immediately. He just, it was like he was never, never gone. So wish him a speedy recovery for sure. Yeah, plenty of Twitter questions rolling in on this one, so I guess I would get it out of the way there. What is the plan to replace him? Is it moving Marlon into the slot, which I think Voss was talking about a little bit on Twitter? I think that's a decent idea. He did a lot of that last year. Uh, is it maybe looking to the slush pile? You got, I think, Prince of Mucamara is a name that's out there. Uh, maybe some other guys. Well, what do you think would be your prediction for what's going to happen? I think they'll elevate one of the guys from the practice squad. Uh, I think that they've had bonds for a while. I think that they've had those guys for a while. I think they'll give them a fair shake to come and maybe, you know, be active, play on special teams, maybe see the field 12 times uh, and, and see if they look competent first. I think they want to break down what they have in-house in that sense. But if they don't have something, they're going to have to go out and acquire something. Marlin, of course, is going to take slot snaps. This happened last year. Tavon got injured. Pretty much the exact same secondary, and Marlin kicked inside. So, of course, he's going to kick inside. He already does. He already does a bit. Uh, still even with Tavon before this situation. So he's going to kick in. We're going to see Averett. We're going to see Jimmy there. We're going to see guys move around. The one guy we probably won't see there is Marcus Peters. That's not his forte. And they like to have him do what he did today, and that is lurk in those flats and go make a play when you're able to uh, kind of just hide. He just hides. He hides. Quarterback, <laughs> quarterbacks don't see him, and he just times that shit, jumps it. Unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable. I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it might have been like Trevor Sakema or somebody who said that like for a guy that's just like he's so often out of position and just in places where he shouldn't be to make these plays on the ball that it's just absolutely ridiculous. It's sick. I mean, we'll touch on it, obviously, but just, yeah, he's one of my favorites. He has to you. You're wasting him if you're not letting him take a limited responsibility in coverage that's not going to burn you and see if he can do those things. We mentioned the Seattle game. We're watching Seattle right now on Sunday Night Football. You know, perfect example there. He did. He's done, done it four times already. He done that basically exact same thing. He did it in Cincinnati. He did it against the Rams. He did it against the Seahawks, and he did it today against the Texans. He baits it, waits. As soon as he sees the the throwing motion start, hightails it. And that was a he was fully laid out for that one. Unbelievable catch. We're going to need to get the Getty images on that. I think Kyle was saying that on Twitter. Shout out to him. Uh, that's going to be a good shot. If USA Today or Getty don't have them, I'm going to cry because that will be – I want that signed. I want to – There's going to be – the kid is going to be cooking some memes up as soon as I get my hands on that. Yes. That's that's right up your alley. You like those, those exact style of memes right there. So makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. But DBs were – they came to play. Chuck Clark was quietly everywhere. It felt like he oh, yeah. was he, Yeah, he pressure. had a great game. Yeah, he, he was getting pressure. He was patrolling the flats. He was coming up in the run game and making hits. Um, any of the dink and dunk stuff, it felt like him and Queen and Harrison were converging a lot of the time, and they were able to you know get some little quick hitters, high percentage throws there, but they closed that down. And the Texans, I mean... Couple overall, couple deep passing plays, you know, deep crosses. We saw a couple of those, some really nice throws, but nothing consistently in the ground game, nothing consist- consistently as far as underneath passing turning into like yak. None of that stuff. It, the Texans had to make a play. They had to basically earn it every single time, and they did a lot of the time. It was, it was a tough game for them. I guess, yeah, looking at sense. yeah, looking at the defense, I mean, we can start there. It, it does feel like it was a lot of feast or famine for Houston's offense. I think part of what kept them in the game was the deep shot to Cooks where he sort of got behind. He had more linebackers on the field, so he was able to slip back into the secondary a little bit, get in front of Deshaun Elliott, make a play, and set them up for that uh, Fells touchdown where you have Levine covering him, and that's just kind of a, a size mismatch situation where he's just going to body out Levine. That's what happened, scored a touchdown, 
and I think that got it to 10 to 7. Maybe I'm, I'm looking at the box score wrong here, but uh, yeah, it was just a lot of feast or famine, a lot of, like we talked about prior to the game, Deshaun Watson just jumping around, bounding around, you know, behind the pocket, shit's just collapsing around, and maybe he's running himself into trouble in certain spots, maybe trouble is finding him more often, so that's forcing him to do that, but just a ton of chaos in the backfield for them, not a recipe for success if you're Houston's offense. And uh, it didn't, you know, it didn't fare very well today. They were able to hang into the game by hitting on some of these miracle plays like we touched on, but that's just not a recipe for consistency. And I think it all comes back to that offensive line, man. They, they're pretty weak, I think, and they looked like it today. They did, and the pressure was partially, you know, Deshaun Watson's fault. You have to give him multiple pressures there. Uh, he held the ball, and the Ravens came after him, and he made plays despite pressure at least, you know, five, six times, I want to say. Yeah. So that was definitely the Ravens' game plan. You kind of saw a little shift between what they wanted to do with Watson and what they wanted to do with Mayfield. They want, they want Watson bothered in his face, getting hits on him. Mayfield, they were comfortable letting him throw underneath and trying to jump it. And Watson, we saw that CBS had been tracking it themselves. At the end of the game, there's three minutes and 44 seconds left. They said that at that point, before the Texans' last drive, I believe, the Ravens had amassed 23, pardon me, 23 pressures, and then they got two more on that drive. So Sean Watson dropped back right around 40 times, including his scrambles. Half the time they had pressure on Deshaun Watson. And that's a tough game for a quarterback to win when you have someone in your face every other time you drop back to pass. And he's just got these strong pistons for legs. He's just always like got guys like wrapping around at his ankles and stuff, and he's always pulling away and just like running around like a Tasmanian devil, hitting these jump passes, attempting these jump passes, like doing all this crazy shit. And, you know, it didn't work especially well today, but it's just a little more inspired than something like Mayfield, who, by the way, looked good the other night. So not to like, you know, crap on Baker too much, but it just looked a lot more inspired and he looked a lot more prepared for this Ravens defense than a guy like Baker did in week one, who was just kind of a lamb to the slaughter. But yeah, the defense, man, they won the game in my eyes. I don't know if you would totally agree with that because the offense certainly uh, poured it on as well. But those two turnovers, particularly Marlon scoop it, uh, stripping it and uh, Fort scooping and scoring, that kind of broke it open for me. And then obviously mentioned uh, the Peters mega layout for the interception there. I think both of those were the uh, the key plays in the game for me. And the major factor on the the counter, the one thing that their offense did the entire game was not turn the football over. Right. So those two play all the all the offense had to do was say thank you, and you know they took and they did they put they put points on the board. Um, I don't know where that just came from. The board on the board on the board. We're fjording it. Fjording. They put points on the board every time. I believe no, they had one stop. Texas had one stop off of a turnover uh, of the three turnovers. Two picks and a two, no, it was, it was two. It was uh. Two, just the pick and the fumble. I think it was Marlon. one pick, one fumble, yeah. Well, regardless, the Ravens put points on the board when they were supposed to. They score a touchdown off of a turnover. That is such a major swing in terms of game-win probability and uh, the, the likelihood of winning a football game when you do that. I'm actually trying to work on first piece I'm going to write for SIS is going to be on the value of a pick six or a defensive touchdown and what it means in numbers. So that is something that interests me very much and it was fun to see Marlon Humphrey get in there fruit punch knock the ball out shots on goal Wink Martindale talks about it all the time and knocks the ball out LJ Fort my freaking boy LJ Fort and Willie Sneed are the veteran dogs on this team that don't care how much they play they don't care about anything they just want to 
they just want to play football. And Willie Sneed takes a huge hit over the middle, takes it like a beast. LJ Fort smacked Deshaun Watson, like I mentioned, rushing the edge a little bit earlier. Has looks how athletic can a linebacker look with the ball in their hands? That was, not, it was, much, not much more athletic than that. He looked like a running back. Like <laughs> good friend of the show, Matt Pine, maybe one of the few uh few owners of an LJ Fort jersey in the entire world. And he texts me every time that guy makes a play, and uh we're two for two so far this year. Yeah, he's been lighting it up. So he forced a fumble and then picks one up and takes it to the house. Uh that was unbelievable. Key tackle on special teams on the uh fake punt last week. So guys showing up, man. He had another tackle on punt coverage again this week. He's a Swiss Army knife. Anywhere you want to put him, positionless football. That's Baltimore football. So those two guys stood out to me as like, you know, dogs. I feel like Ingram did too. Ingram was he last week he looked a little, you know, didn't quite have his feet, didn't quite have his wherewithal yet. This week he was bully ball, hitting dudes, moving piles, blocking, busts out the basically the game defining play in the end is the fourth and one. Uh, as we keep mentioning Seattle and watching Seattle, we basically just keep going back and shitting on Seattle, which is kind of funny. But Ooh, let Russ one, cook. We're play. really smart. Uh, let Russ cook. Uh, we we know numbers. <laughs> just kidding. I, I love you guys. Don't don't kill me, Ben Baldwin. Yeah, the, they'll come for us eventually. Our time. We're we're on uh, we're on bated breath. There. Well, we stole Sean Clement from them, so they they got every every hankering to come and get us. That's true. But again, this defense getting back to it, they got pressure, created turnovers, and the offense didn't turn the football over. That's how you win football games. I uh, I tweeted this and it got some traction and uh, wrote it down against an even slightly like less than or lesser quarterback. This game wouldn't have even been nearly close. I think Sean Watson had to make spectacular plays. How good he is and his play style was the one raft that they had or the uh, one paddle that they had for the raft that they're just trying to paddle up Niagara Falls going the wrong way. It, the, the disparity in qualities of these two teams. And we touched on it. Like I said, in the preview, it couldn't have been more on display other than that at that position. But uh, like we mentioned, Lamar just kind of did what he had to do. And uh, Watson, you know, he, he was, he was trying back there, but it's just kind of hard sometimes against the, a defense like this. Right, and we've got some some jokers coming in to mess with me in the comments. Where's Judon? I'm just here to slander Judon. Don't get me started. He had at least six pressures. I'm going to bet his stat line looked like three quarterback hits, seven total pressures, and had to have at least three tackles, probably one for a loss. So do not slander Judon. That would turn out to be, if he has seven pressures every game, he's leading the NFL in pressure. So don't 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 come here and slander Judon after he has played his ass off. I mean, to be an elite level pass rusher, you got to finish some of the plays that he's making, but he's at least very good, which is fine with me. If you get seven pressures a game, you deserve every penny of $16 million as an edge rusher and add some coverage versatility into that. And uh, you're not going to hear any complaints out of me. Unblocked, I'm sure. Well, why don't you go be sure? Why don't you go watch the tape, the Carter perspective? Come on. I He didn't have unblocked pressure. I was laughing watching him beat the right tackle and the Texans' right tackle. Titus yeah, newsflash, Titus Howard, not a great right tackle. So not like, a great right tackle, but Judon consistently getting pressure, forced Deshaun Watson off of his spot so many times. And when we did the preview, preview show, I said that we saw some spectacular plays today, but when Deshaun Watson gets the ball out in rhythm, he hurts you. That's when he just gets those five-yard little dinks and they end up for first downs and, and he gets some rhythm going. And Judon was not letting him get there. Judon had many, many, many pressures. 
And uh, so uh, the whole Ravens defensive front, Brandon Williams forced a sack. He had look at that pressure. him getting involved in the pass rushing situation. Oh yeah, a Brandon Williams quick pressure on a one on one off of a one on one. That is my wheelhouse. Get me sign me up for that. Sign me up for that. Absolutely. Uh, anything further on the defense? No, but Kyle chimes in. The stat sheet is not indicative of Judon's production. If you went off of stat sheets, Nick Boyle would be the most overpaid player on the Ravens. Great point, Kyle. If you went off the stat sheet, the Big 12 would produce amazing NFL players. Yes, correct. Brown wanted no part of Watt. That's uh, somewhat true as we roll into the offense here. So you got Lamar Jackson, 204 yards through the air, one touchdown, 16 for 54 yards on the ground. Uh, Ingram chipping in 55 rush yards, had the critical touchdown, which uh, we obviously loved. Uh, and then the Gus bus, man, salting the game away. Uh, I wrote on Twitter that he is the Texans Anton Sugar, which is the bad guy from No Country for Old Men, who's just yeah. an absolute force of nature. And uh, just, you know, that's the deepest voice ever. Call it. You want no part of this. Call it. Uh, receiving was evenly distributed between uh, Marquise Brown taking in five catches for 42. Boykin getting involvement. Both in the uh, receiving game, he had five for 42, and the blocking. He had a really nice block for Mark Andrews on uh, his one big play. Uh, so you love to see that. Pat Ricard catching a touchdown, our guy. Love to see that. And uh, the O-line play was uneven. That's uh, probably the main takeaway on offense. But I think they pulled it together in the second half there. Yeah, it's hard to hard to really knock the offensive line when they're running for seven yards a clip and 230 yards. Very hard to knock the offensive line. Fourth and one, when it boiled down to it put the big boys on the field and they whoop the Texans up front and took it to the house. So the offensive line definitely is still trying to find their footing. New guys in there, new, you know, Tyree Phillips rookie, definitely a lot different from Marshall Yonda, who is a hall of fame guard playing at a hall of fame caliber level last year for the most part. And there's going to be drop off that was expected. But when your drop off is still putting up 30 points against a playoff team and a team that's played you really well, uh, over the last couple of years in Cleveland, then you'll be okay. Did you make this a uh, 2-0 and o graphic that just got posted on Instagram? Yeah. That's pretty tight. I like that. Uh, on my phone. Nice. Yeah, so we had the... Um, so we've only seen the telecast, obviously, but what, like, what do you attribute to what changed with the offensive line? You mentioned going big there. Was that bringing in Boyle and Ricard? Because I didn't notice too much, admittedly. It was they they did the opposite of what people say. You establish the establish the run to set up the pass. No, the Ravens threw early and often, had moderate success. You know, the Texans made plays, got them off the field once or twice, but uh, they showed that they were going to be able to spread the field. They got a lot of different guys involved, and then they condensed after the Texans had been rushing kind of unencumbered. They invited them to pass rush, and then started punching them in the mouth in the second half with a lead and. Being able to pull, being able to pull Phillips into space, get those guys moving. Bozeman, Phillips, Bozeman's been light years ahead, in my opinion, of where he was at this time last year. Uh, he played pretty well down the stretch, but I wasn't sold on him being a starter. Uh, Harbaugh comes out in the middle of summer, and holy shit, he looks really good. I think Bozeman is definitely a bright spot there. Skura and Phillips, if you if, if you're playing against a team with a guy who is just coming off of a torn knee and a rookie. You're going to attack them there. Uh, I think that Orlando Brown did get his ass whooped by J.J. Watt, who whoops asses a couple of times. I think that also J.J. Watt ended up notching a sack where Orlando Brown had him locked up for cool three seconds. Yeah, Lamar, Lamar held the ball on a couple of the, uh, yeah. the sacks there, I think. 
Yeah, and that's the the cost you're willing to or the risk you're willing to take. But Lamar held the ball in the end, didn't turn the ball over though. So is that that I can't answer? The, I'm going to ask a question that I can't answer. Did the Ravens not turn the ball over because Lamar held the ball and took the sacks? Maybe, maybe that ball pops out on one of those sacks, and then we don't say that anymore. So we like to talk about process-based thinking as opposed to results-based thinking. It's pretty difficult to, to say whether that is sound or not, holding the ball like that. He had a uh, sack on third down. I think it might have been merciless or uh, maybe maybe one of the D tackles where the tackle, he had the ball on his chest and the tackle just came at him. I don't know how he didn't drop it or fumble it, but like that was pretty key by him to hang on to that ball there. Had a couple plays, honestly, like that, where it was like, oh, man, like, I thought he was going to get stripped, but he just managed to hold on to that rock. And he did hang on to it sometimes, but guys were covered. Like if you watch the, uh, Oh my DK Jesus Metcalf. Christ, oh my this game DK is good. Metcalf. Uh, DK Metcalf. Was long touchdown. I think so. Oh my Lord. DK Metcalf just caught a bomb in Stefan Gilmore's eye. Hitting 40 yards downfield. It was him. Wow. One-on-one press. But yeah, very disciplined performance by Lamar. He hung on to the ball, like I mentioned, amid some rough conditions, getting absolutely tossed around. And, you know, you you want to talk about these coverage sacks, but guys were covered down the field uh, in some, some of these situations. The Texans, they don't have a superstar cornerback, but they've, they're deep. And they've got guys that have first-round, you know, caliber, uh, like a Vernon Hargraves and a Gary and Conley. So it's interesting. I don't know. Like, I don't want to say Lamar had a bad game at all, but he wasn't great. I, I would say... Mainly what I was impressed by, like I, I've been saying here, is his discipline. I thought he was very disciplined in this game, and that was partially the difference because it felt like Watson was trying to be Superman on every single play. It worked to some extent, and it blew up in his face in uh, other spots. And Lamar was just kind of just kind of chunking it. He was like, uh, me and my brother always talk about how Gus Edwards is uh, like the coal miner out there. He's just putting on his hard hat, bringing out the lunch pail, and just going to work. And it kind of felt like what Lamar was doing today. Yeah, he, he took the low-hanging fruit. That's what we saw Patrick Mahomes have to do. We mentioned that when we did the preview show. The Texans made Mahomes throw underneath, and Mahomes threw underneath, and they ran the ball effectively, and the Ravens followed suit. And Lamar you know, had the little curls, the little hitches, the drags, the crossers, the throws that you can kind of really see dead in front of you that aren't moving a ton or they're moving at a constant pace. And so he was able to find time, lock on, make the throw accurately. Had a really nice throw to Duvernay on a, a cross that – rolling to his right could see him kind of calibrate his shoulders line it up square it up toss it dead in stride first down felt lamar was incredible on third down he kind of was i would say i would say he's overly can not overly conservative i would say he was leaning more conservatively until third down kind of saving up taking those low-hanging fruits until it was third down and a couple times that got them into third and long but early on that mark andrews dig about 15 yards. Weird right play. The, the C- CBS did not do a great job today, I don't think. They kind of cut back as he was making that throw to Andrews, who, like I mentioned, got the good block to spring him by Boyle for another couple of yards there. That was a nice one. There was another uh, third and long to Hollywood, where Hollywood kind of climbed the ladder to go and grab it. So, yeah, I think third down, when you're able to stay disciplined and just win on third down, you're going to have an efficient day as a QB. Absolutely. And the Carter perspective chimes in in the comments here. Boykin was impressive. I liked how physical he's, he was. On that play we're referring to, you see him fold a DB like a lawn chair on the sideline. He is un, under, undisputedly one of the best perimeter blocking wide receivers in the NFL. And the fact that you have him doing that after you have Pat Ricard doing what he does, after you have Nick Boyle doing what he does, 
that is mean and they are bullies. Absolutely. Jumping into some key questions here. How do you feel about the Ravens committee approach to running the ball? I love it personally. I think that it makes total sense. I think that there are times to pick spots. I think that you can toy with your opponent by showing them one thing with one guy a week before and then switching the usage of those three guys. Uh, Dobbins, obviously, they didn't give him a bunch of run today. They wanted a lot of pass pro today out of Ingram and Edwards. They wanted to have that on the field. Those were probably the checks that Lamar had. It was a lot of stuff with running back protection. And that's why we end up seeing at one point Dobbins kind of started to go into a swing motion to the sideline. And Lamar was like, whoa, 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 where are you going, buddy? Get back over here. That was a you weird stay play. Here. Then I send you in motion here. So Dobbins doesn't have the nuance down yet of those things. But it's really nice to see that Lamar has such control of that. Something started to go awry, uh, an, a variable that he couldn't account for. Why is Dobbins doing this? So he stopped. He doesn't have to snap the ball. He solves as long problems. As the ball doesn't get thrown over his head, which we see too often. From it's hard, to get, difficult game this this football thing. But uh, without having the ball go over his head, and you know the wherewithal to say, "All right, J.K., you're going to go here, then I'm going to send you in motion," and that's how the play is supposed to be run. Not just doing it, letting it happen, letting J.K. start doing something. You, this is the NFL. Can't 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 be. So really nice to see Lamar have control of the concepts pre-snap. That's the progression he said he was going to do, and that is the progression we're seeing. He's a man of his word. I think uh, what I like the most about it is that, and obviously it's you know maybe something that's been touched on, but the way that it's bared out in the last two games is the fact that each of them just brings this incredible, unique running style that is unique to not only the entire NFL in some cases, but also unique to one another. So you've got Ingram as kind of the veteran chunker sort of number one but sort the of pro. he's the pro yeah he right exactly and then uh jk he'll run is, power he'll run zone he'll pass block he'll do anything you ask precisely and jk is kind of similar to that brings a little bit more in the receiving game got a little bit more junk in the trunk and juice in the pants uh so he's sort of the younger version of that gus is just the pure runner just kind of puts on that hard hat like we mentioned gets gets downhill gets north south salted the game away today haven't even seen anything from justice hill yet and he brings his own unique skill set in the receiving game get out on some of these swing passes. Hopefully they incorporate more screens. We saw at least one today. So each of these guys, uh, very impressive. Absolutely. I feel like if you take a look at rushing yards over expectation, which next gen stats best in business will, will release in you know, next day, look at the, what, what the Ravens running backs did going above what they were supposed to do. They, you know, running backs don't matter, yada, yada, yada. But when you have guys consistently performing above average, above the norm, above the expectation, they have four guys that can probably do that. And that that's a testament to the front office being able to bring in that. They wanted running backs. They needed a stable of them, and they freaking have one. Oh, my gosh. All four ball carriers, significant ball carriers, Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, and Gus Edwards had a run of at least 14 yards each. Obviously, uh, Dobbins goes 44. I think Ingram went over 30 on the Wildcat, and Gus Hill or Gus Edwards, Gus Hill, <laughs> Gus Edwards had a 22 yard run, if I recall correctly. And Lamar, Lamar had a little 14 yard run. So that is very difficult to defend when there are four guys getting open lanes to take off. Let's say the uh, Texans' offense isn't sort of the wild roadrunner situation they've got going on today, and they're a little more efficient. Uh, and everything else about this game remains the same. Do you trust these receiving options in a big-time shootout? Yes. I trust Devin Duvernay as a rookie a lot. I think that he looked really smooth. They're also picking their spots with him. He has 
a clearly defined role, it feels like, and packages. There's not going to be a lot of on the fly with Duvernay while these guys are all healthy, knock on wood, of course. So I like to see that. I feel like he has a purpose. Willie Sneed, whenever you call his, whenever you call on him, he is going to fight for that damn ball. He is going to make the catch to the best of his ability. He's going to fight after the catch. Can't really run away from people that well. You know, over the middle of the field, he's not a burner either. But that catch he had on that slant or post, whatever it was, an in-breaking route, ends up just bodying through, getting 25 yards after the catch, flipping the field. The receiving core had plays all over the place. Boykin, I think this was Boykin's best game. Yeah. As a as a regular season game as a Raven. I think that he looked smooth, in control. He slowed down. We heard David Culley talk about last year that he was trying to play too fast. You, everyone says you have to play fast in the NFL. He was working himself into an anxious frenzy on the field. And, uh, you know, we talked so much about how great he looked off of it or on the practice field, I should say. And I feel like he's slowing it down. He reminds me of like one of those big Clydesdales. Like he's just trotting along, making it happen. But there's also a uh, smoothness and a grace to the way that he plays that I enjoy. Yeah, that's that. uh, Speaking of DK Metcalf's three cone, I was laughing about on Twitter after he just (laughs) smoked Swan Gilmore. But you can see the three cone with Boykin because he is smooth. He's very agile. He can take sharp angles and he's a big guy. So uh, he's still being refined. And I think he would definitely tell you that himself. He's mentioned it many times that he's working on his craft and good things are brewing. The Ravens might be able to develop wide receivers. People we'll see. I think they were always able to just Ozzy kind of, he, you know, he, he had some misses early on. I think that affected his psyche as far as taking them. Uh, he had a certain profile that maybe wasn't fit for the way that the teams that he was building were set up well for. So yeah, it just, you know, the, the, dash history of uh, this franchise and wide receivers i think is hopefully coming to an end to your point there and uh eric DaCosta doing a nice job in this uh this coaching staff doing a nice job developing as well i mean hollywood brown was not a completely finished package last year i think he's starting to look like it this year boykin's starting to come into his own like you mentioned there and to your point yeah i do trust him as well i think um you know like i kind of mentioned with the running game maybe not a massive alpha dog guy maybe it's andrews but just a bunch of dogs dudes that are there's a bone out there and they're going to go get that bone for you and do what they got to do. And, uh, very deep, uh, you know, this is a far cry from where this franchise was at the wide receiver position a couple years ago, or just receiver in general with some of these options they have at tight end and, um, and at full, at uh, fullback there just went Gruden there for a second. And at fullback there, you did slip into Gruden. Yeah. That was <laughs> you just went full. Cause you said fullback. You're like, I said back there, man, tight end there, man, this guy, tell you what, this guy, Mark Nick Andrews, man, Boyle. they call him American express. Cause he's everywhere you want to be, man. Nick, Nick Boyle. Call him the traffic going, man. Cause he just gets in your way and you're not going to stop him. That did not make sense. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I trust this group for sure. Um, moving on is this is a weird one. I've been kind of thinking this over the last eight quarters of football that we've seen. Do you think Lamar is just a straight up pocket passer at this point who has some good running ability? I feel like, and maybe this is just me being a fan watching the TV copy, but even going back and watching the all 22 against the Browns, it feels like maybe the bulk that he's added, maybe he's just lost a hair of that explosiveness getting to the edge. He's not beating linebackers with as much frequency as he was last year. I feel like with the bulk that he's added, he's more of just a guy who's going to stand back there, work the pocket a little bit and take off when he needs to. And that's just kind of more like passing is more his primary bit now. It's not just like he's a running QB that can pass or, you know, whatever X 60, 40 split. I feel like he's much more of a pocket passer at this point. What do you think? I couldn't possibly disagree with you more. Okay. 
I think that his athleticism enables so many things of this offense and he still uses it a lot of the time, but it doesn't turn into him scrambling after crossing the line of scrimmage, buying time. Deshaun Watson does the same thing, buying time, running RPOs where the quarterback can keep the ball and run to the sideline and do those kinds of things uh, are what those two offenses, Mahomes as well, we mentioned all the other ones, even freaking Gardner Minshew. They're based on the athleticism, the ability to to buy time. For the, for the record, I don't think it's I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's uh I, I very impressed. Seventy yard touchdown, and he got shoot. He always gets shoestring tackled. Well, by yeah. the last person possible. That Justin Reed, that shoot. that Justin Reed shoestring was sick. Yes, it was amazing off of a block too. But do you know and, what I mean though? Like I just feel like he's had maybe six opportunities to get to the edge one-on-one with a linebacker and hasn't beat them. And it's not like I'm so, like I said, I don't think it's necessarily a I think bad he's thing. protecting himself a lot. Yeah. Yeah. If I agree with that too. To it, I, I think that he is really avoiding contact. I think it, yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing. I, yeah. Like I don't think it's a bad thing. I just noticed that like, it just feels like there's maybe just a slight difference in the way that he's approaching it this year. Yeah. He also did have a sore little groin right before the season started. He, you know, had a couple days off there. So probably taking it easy. He should. And I think that, I think that he's interested in protecting himself because he uh, understands how profitable it is for him to be on the field. And I think that he really picks and chooses when to push it. And in the regular season, week two, when your defense is giving you turnovers, he was just playing ball control, buying himself time, trying to find the open guy. And he's more interested. He's more interested in passing, but he We'll tell you that 10,000 times out of 10,000. He wants to be a passer. He wants everyone to give him respect because he's been shit on for years. For and continues not to be able to pass. All day, every single day, he works on becoming a better passer and then has thousands of people on the internet talk about how he's not a good passer. So I think he wants to throw some balls for sure. Every time he said, I forget where I heard this, but apparently it might've been ringer NFL show. He like said in an interview or maybe it was a press conference that every time he posts something on Instagram, or like wherever, like he'll get a million comments, like with a Titans meme, or like you can't throw yeah. or stuff like that. So yeah, it's still like definitely fueling him a little bit. And yeah, to that point, man, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. It just feels like there's a slight difference in the the approach this year, and uh, I feel like he's maybe matured more as a player as a result of it. I, I really like what I've seen so far. Running feels like a very last resort to him this season from Andrew. That's kind of what I'm getting at a little bit. It feels like a little bit more of like a. I don't want to say there's not a there's not as much decisiveness, but it's more like okay, I want to go through every single progression here, then take off. But you know, it's kind of like a sports talk radio guy type thing. I don't really want to fully dwell on that too he, much. He, he buys himself time a, a lot, yeah. As a passer, he finds space, and so he works himself into trouble. That's that's the the dual edged sword there. So we have another one, another a fellow Spencer chiming in. Hell of a show tonight, fellows. Fan question: Just moved to Locust Point. Best spots to watch the game that aren't my couch. Locust Point has a bar called Barracudas, uh, right by LP Steamers, Locust Point Steamers. Barracudas is really good food in Locust Point. So there you go. I want to say they the nice bar. little Irish spot in Fells called The Point, I think. For the Point in Fells, yeah, that's on the very corner of that street of Broadway. I don't know if the TV but situation is great. Locust Point. He's saying in Locust Point. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not overly familiar with Locust Point, but. Yeah, it's like Fort McKay, fat back where. Oh, that's more like fell side. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't no, know. No, it's, it's like right past fed. But moving on, um, the Ravens played an outstanding game overall. 
it was fun. It was fun to watch. It was fun. It was exciting. The Texans played well at times. Uh, I got the juices flowing. And it was a real game. The- it wasn't like just going into Los Angeles and just, you know, whipping their peas out and, you know, doing that whole thing. They, they, they had to grind one out here is what I was kind of saying to my brother. Sometimes you just got to go on the road and grind one out. That's something that, you know, Ravens fans maybe lost sight of a little bit, myself included. And uh, it was kind of an unfamiliar feeling sitting there at uh, halftime with whatever it was, a 10-point lead, and be like, ah, oh, man, only 10 points. What's going on here? Uh, a good problem to have overall. Yeah, uh, of course. Keep breezing through my questions here. What's one specific thing that you really liked about Greg Roman's approach to this and what, like I wrote down, figures to be one of the few street fights of the season here? Working them side to side. The Texans do the same thing. They use the jet motion. They use the the play action, jet motion to work you side to side, see, see which way they can get those linebackers moving and do the other one. And we saw uh, early, very early, unsuccessful jet sweep from Hollywood Brown and got – it was like a two-yard loss, I believe. Bradley Roby made a good play, if I'm not mistaken. And Hollywood Brown widens the field that way. And then we see the, the the orbit motion screen to Mark Ingram. And that was really well executed. It looked like a NFL professional offensive screen, which is something this offense hasn't had in years and years and years. So back to Kubiak. And that was really nice to see. It was really encouraging because... When you watch, for instance, the Chiefs, it felt like the Chiefs had to labor less against the Texans because of those concepts, those easy manufactured touches. And to see the Ravens dabbling into that heavily enough and having it be well-executed, well-practiced, in sync, the linemen are getting to their spots, the running back's timing it well with the linemen, all of that beautiful stuff ends up producing offense against good defenses that you can't just, you know, freaking schoolyard bullshit, run around, make plays, talk shit you're going to have to play the Titans like like that's those are the kinds of things that prevented them from overcoming what the Titans were doing not being able to make something out of nothing play wise um, when the Titans kind of you know had a good approach and to have that in the wheelhouse now and is Lamar Jackson able to check into those things are there are there bubble screen checks are there things like that? Is he, you know, able to read and put that in? Is that part of this offense? I don't know. We haven't seen those quite yet. I don't think we've seen the checks to it. But if it is, that is peak Baltimore Ravens offensive form to me. I think what I liked most about it, and uh, I think it's summed up by shout out to King Moose at Yoshi2052, one of the absolute best follows on Ravens Twitter. If you're not following him, you gotta gotta check him out. He does a great job breaking down uh, charting and uh, numbers and all that stuff. And as they were entering the fourth quarter, or uh, maybe it was at some point in the fourth quarter, he tweeted 941 TOP in Q4. Yeah, I remember this. It kind of reminds me of what they were doing in 2018 a little bit. Just running the rock, running that clock down. They outgained them, I think, by 10 total minutes in time of position when it was all said and done. Yeah, 3451 to 2509 time of possession for Baltimore. So just that ability to just sit on the ball and just break their will and make Watson sit on the bench and just watch Lamar make these, you know, first down conversions on third down. It's just, it was a will breaking performance by the offense. And I think Roman had a lot to do with that. Yeah, absolutely. Mark Ingram actually had nine carries. It felt like he had like 15. Yeah. He definitely did feel like that. He made a lot more plays, I think, than he did in week one. So maybe it just sort of jumped off the screen a little bit more, but yeah, just, you know, grinding one out, like I mentioned in time of possession, a big part of that guess we can flip over to the defensive side of the ball here. kind of feels like they're going pass rush by committee uh, as well. We mentioned them doing that with the running backs. Is that like, what are some of the pros and cons of doing something like that? Cause like 
We mentioned, you know, their alpha dog pass rusher is effectively Judon, but he's, like we said, not like a Miles Garrett type. So what is what are some of the pros and cons to an approach like that, in approach like that? The pro to me is that they're getting nose guards off the field and obvious passing downs that can't wrestle Deshaun Watson in the open field, aren't going to win blocks at a high rate sustainably over time or consistently over time. So I, I don't know if it's necessarily by committee because you, you're seeing the same guys on the field at all times. There's just one or two isn't there. We see a lot of Wolf, a lot of Campbell, a lot of Judon, a lot of McPhee, a lot of Bowser, a lot of Ward, a lot of Ferguson on those passing downs. All those guys made appearances. It's a rotation and it keeps guys fresh, number one. Number two, you're able to move people different places that your quarterback, the offensive coordinator is not going to be able to get a read on what the call actually is or where the pressure is or isn't coming from as easily uh, when you're, when you have a big rotation like that, they're going to be, I don't know. It's, you know, a coachy thing to say, like not a, you know, analytics guy wouldn't freaking approve of that. But in the second half of football games, your pass rush is going to be fresher than if you're, you know, grinding the same five guys for four quarters, trying to get them, you know, that's kind of what happened with the Texans. They don't have a huge rotation. They, they have to have JJ Watt on the field. JJ Watt and Mr. Nobody. Exactly. As to quote Steph. Yes, exactly. And so you have a fresher pass rush. And I think that with not with having guys that are mobile enough to play coverage outside of basically McPhee, who will still drop Campbell, who we just saw almost pick a pass last week, those kinds of guys able to move them all along the front and bluff them. And it's just a nightmare. It's just a nightmare to be a quarterback and try and guess who's coming and where are you going to go with your first read? The, the name of the game by them doing that is to jump under the first read of the passer and force them off their primary read because then you have to f- scan and find a whole new thing. And by that time, somebody's getting home. So that is the pro to me to keeping guys fresh and manufacturing pass rush that way is getting quarterbacks off their primary read by confusing. them. You mentioned getting home. Is there any concerns with their finishing ability or is it just Deshaun Watson being Deshaun Watson today? Definitely think it's Deshaun Watson being Sean Watson. They beat him up. They hit him a lot. Yeah. They hit him a lot. Big hits. Couple. He got mad. LJ Fort hit him once really bad. Kind it of was like kind of that that was could have been called. He, I thought. he slipped. He did kind of trip on the rug there. And then LJ Fort came in. Uh, but he went a little he went a little Mahomesy. He threw the hands up and looked around. Yes, very Mahomesy. Mahomie Mahomes. This is the only week I rooted for the Chiefs. Love to see that. Uh, so how do they hit on some of these big plays? If you could tell watching from the telecast, I mentioned the deep shot to cooks. There were a couple of other deep shots that they were hitting. Do you know, like, could you break down any of that yet? Or what do you think? It just felt like they were using those deep crossers and some of those routes that break across the field, deep digs, things like that, where Watson's able to, I mean, he's a spectacularly accurate outside the hashes and numbers, deep ball passer. He's like the inverse of what people think Lamar Jackson is. He thrives outside of the hashes, outside of the numbers. So he made a couple plays, man. I mean, they had tight coverage on some of them. They just had Brandon Cooks, who's a fast wide receiver, and was able to get an angle. They had enough protection, or Deshaun Watson had enough time, and he's a very accurate quarterback. I don't think there was necessarily like breakdowns in coverage or anything. The one that that one was kind of one, but they corralled it pretty easily after the ball landed, uh, after the receiver brought the possession in and. It uh it it was bound to happen when a team throws that much, drops back that much. Deshaun Watson's able to buy time that way, but at the end of the day, they forced two turnovers. They had more turnovers forced than touchdowns allowed. So uh, I think that it was really strong. They didn't let the Texans get going on the run game at all whatsoever. There was no consistent gashing anywhere of that. 
And the Texans had to be perfect, and they couldn't. It's it's not easy being perfect. Speaking of which, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters are so fucking good. Fruit Punch. Fruit Punch was awesome. And fruit, punch, are, fruit Punch and the Juice Man. Fruit Punch and the Juice Man. And Peters doing what he does. Marlon doing what he does. Marlon's not a ball hawk. He is a thug. Not a good word to say. I'm sorry. Yeah, let's let's nervous. roll that back. Marlon Humphrey is a beast. He is a problem. He punched. At this point, it's just ridiculous. No, I, I don't know a, a corner that he's like Buster Douglas Actually, out there, just going 13 Humphrey. rounds. You know, he's yeah. He likes Charles to mix Tillman it up. Was notorious for it. He's the best I've seen since Charles Tillman at, at forcing fumbles after after the catch. The peanut punch or the fruit punch now, we should call it. But there's a special little sauce to Marlins because it's like him in coverage on his assignment getting them. It feels like there's a certain uh, languidity to it where it feels like when he goes to make the wrap-up tackle, it's a part of his motion. Whereas with Peanut, he was very much like came in and like did this, which was sick. And it was like funny to watch. But I think with Mar- Marlon, Peanut, like- Peanut was amazing at doing it in cleanup when a guy was getting stood up and then just popping the ball up. But Marlon is like, oh, you thought you, you think you caught a ball on me? Yoink. LJ Ford touchdown. <laughs> That's kind of the funniest part about it is like it's always like this receiver thinks he's made some big play that he just comes in and just dashes their hopes and dreams. It was Shout a out successful to- throw and catch against Marlon Humphrey, a very difficult corner to get open against, and it turned into the worst possible thing, a defensive touchdown. Can you imagine being Juju last year after fumbling away their season in 2018 and then... <laughs> You got the Ravens on the ropes with your third string quarterback or whatever in overtime. And it just, it's like, oh, I completed a pass. It's like, nope, actually, we're going to, this guy's going to punch it out and recover it miraculously. And then this uh, annoying ass fucking kicker is going to come out and uh, dash your hopes and dreams here with a 47 yarder. And Kevin Harlan just really did everything he could to try and jinx that. But yeah, there's there's a great irony in what Marlon Humphrey does. There's a huge irony in it. And that one was so special in Pittsburgh because Juju had scored the touchdown on him where he had tried to strip him. Juju broke free. You know, Juju's feeling himself after that. You know, feels He's doing good. his little like, Fortnite dances. Let's calm down. Like Marlon can't guard me. They can't guard me. And then I'll take that. Yoink. What are your thoughts on how this game would play out without even one of those turnovers in the mix? Would it come down to the wire? I think so, too. Yeah. The turnovers were the difference in the game. That It was the pressure on Watson and getting that ball and scoring after they got it. Okay. So I guess we can go ahead and jump to some listener questions here. So we've talked about a little bit about the corner situation with uh, Tavon, so we don't have to belabor that. I guess O-line, I mean, what do you you think is the the quick fix moving forward here with a tough game against Kansas City coming up? There's not going to be a quick fix. It's not going to work that way. They are going to have to develop continuity on that right side more over time. Skura, you know, I didn't pay a ton of attention to what Matt Skura was doing today. I was very focused on the perimeter players today because it was a big passing day. I felt like a lot of dropbacks, a lot of first half dropbacks. And those guys, if they're not able to, you know, get it done after a while, you have to give, you have to give them enough time. You can't just have a turnstile going like, oh no, we got to try Ben Powers now. We got to try this, we got to try this, got to try this. That just is going to lead to worse problems. It's, you know, offensive line is the most important thing. Any coach, any player will tell you about having a good offensive line is about having continuity, understanding how to pass pressure off, understanding splits, how to, you know, the weaknesses of the man next to you, those kinds of things. The offensive line as a whole is very much collaborative. And to expect there, again, just to expect there not to be a drop off from Marshall Yonda is impractical. 
And you're not going to get Marshall Yanda. You're not going to find that. You're not going to find someone who's going to have the insane high 90s win rates as a pass blocker and, you know, dominating as a run blocker off the street. Quentin, you know, Quentin Nelson, like they, you can get lucky sometimes. Marshall Yanda was kind of one of those guys, but I feel like they have a much better process in terms of evaluating offensive linemen recently. We've seen them get a lot more athletic and dependent on mobility and, and technique in the last few years as opposed to just being massive. And I think they'll they'll pull it together. It's it's just going to take time. It's just going to take time. To that point, I mean, they've got a third rounder starting there right now. And like, I don't know, I'm not going to pretend like I was breaking down film in 2007, but I can't imagine Marshall Yonda just stepped onto the field and was a Hall of Famer immediately. So probably a little bit of a gelling process. One of the old Aussie quotes is you got to let the young guys make mistakes in order for them to grow. So get them out there, let them make some mistakes. And listen, applicable not just on the football field, but in life. The only yeah. way you can tell someone something a thousand times, but they won't learn it until they make the mistake themselves. Exactly. And, you know, they they made some mistakes in the first half and they went out and they were strong in the second half. So, I mean, you know, just a little bit of patience, a little bit of let's all just calm down here. And, uh, yeah, maybe it'll be fine next week. Maybe not. But uh, just we'll see. We'll see when Next Gen Stats releases time to throw. SIS will release it on Tuesday as well. Time to throw. How long it took Lamar Jackson to get the ball out of his hands from the time the ball was snapped. If it's over three seconds, which I think it was, then guys are going to get pressure in T-T-T, that regard. Time to throw. And they beat up the Texans in the run game in the second half when when they could they took the game away from the Texans with the run game in the second half. Boy. And Gus Edwards is just a Texan killer. He didn't get a lot, a lot of run last week. Comes in, he looks just like he did when he busted that 64-yarder against them last year. Some reason he gets in space against them, and Gus Edwards in space is a very scary thing. He's standing there across from their defense, and their defense is behind the counter talking about uh, how they live behind the gas station, and he's just saying, flip a coin. Call it. Well, what am I calling it for? Call it. Just call it. Shout out to that guy's haircut. Uh, Zeke Batman, our guy, for a 33-point game. I have to say I was really disappointed with that offensive performance. Just more that I know they can be doing better and shouldn't have to rely on Tucker for three to five field goals in a game. Kind of agree, kind of don't. I mean, you got a touchdown from the defense that pushes them into the 30s, I believe. But overall, I thought the offense did a decent enough job moving the ball. Points maybe weren't necessarily there. Could have used maybe another touchdown or two. They they knelt the ball in, in in the Texans' red zone. Yeah, I mean, you know, ultimately it's like they the points didn't necessarily show up, but they were moving the ball consistently, I thought. They scored on a lot of drives. So they had, what, three field goals, two offensive touchdowns? One defensive touchdown, yeah. So they scored on five drives and didn't have to score in the fourth quarter, didn't have to score in the third, in the third, towards the end of the game. So I understand what you're saying, but they just wanted to end the game offensively. And when you're kneeling in opponent's territory at the end of the game, it's a lot different than if, you know, we watched the Chiefs Chargers. They were in overtime down to the wire for 45 consecutive real minutes. And the Ravens game, the Ravens were firmly in control ever after the the fourth and one wildcat. After that Ingram touchdown, the game was over. I mean, that's all you kind of yeah, need to know. That was the ice on the cake. And they just continued to restrain Deshaun Watson after that point. And the offense, I mean, had a little bit of trouble. But when you don't turn the ball over, you didn't have that. And you, your team puts 30 points on the board. The offense puts up 24 points. That's a recipe to win. Interesting. Bodega dead. Lamar Jackson. I'm sorry. Lamar Jackson, I did want to say he had five incompletions last Sunday, six incompletions today. He has 11 incompletions on 50 passing attempts. So he's throwing it like an 80% clip. Right and they're now, just, just yeah, under. They're just doing different stuff than they were doing last week in order to get the win. Like we mentioned, they're being water, my friend. 
Yes. My so hand, the... my hands are registered as lethal weapons. <laughs> and I wouldn't want to embarrass you in front of all my friends. Okay, he ha- Brad Pitt has a one-liner back, and I can't think of it. <laughs> Anybody accidentally kills somebody, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it is. Perfect. <laughs> and I think that whole lethal weapon horse shit is just a little bit of li- little lie that you dancers tell so that you, <laughs> you don't have to get into a real fight. I think I think that's the line. Something like that. Yeah. That's okay. that's an elite scene. It's great. Uh Bodega Dev, do you think Judon is gonna start turning it up the next few games? Yeah. He's he's been turned up. He was in coverage last week. He was playing freaking slot corner, running around. This week he was he was trying to catch the catch the chicken in the cage. Deshaun I was going to say I think Ravens fans eat the trash with Judon every single year. We start the year and he's not getting these sack numbers and everybody's kind of freaking out. It's just kind of not really his game getting these the sack numbers, you know. He doesn't rush the passer enough to get the sack numbers. He had more There's one player who it was um Robert Quinn was the only player in the NFL last year who rushed, rushed the passer equal or lesser times than Judon and had more sacks. Precisely. He doesn't get the volume as a pass rusher because he drops in coverage. It's a tale as old as time. He gets pressure. He led the NFL in quarterback hits. But the Ravens blitz a lot. When you, someone blitzes you, you have to get the ball out quick or else the blitz gets home. And that's how sacks happen. We saw that by the Texans offense and the Ravens offense. Both took sacks against the blitz. So teams get the ball out quickly. That's why Judon gets hits, not sacks. All right, bud, running over an hour here. Going to get us out of here with our buddy Tanner Cormack up in the Great White North. What do you think our chances are against the Chiefs next week? I believe that I'm going to take the Chiefs. I won't give my score prediction yet, but I am not fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times. We we won't get fooled again. We we we're not taking we're not taking the Chiefs this week. I'm well, we being myself. I'm talking in third person like a weirdo. But I'm a, I'm undecided. I think I went into this year thinking I was definitely going to pick the Chiefs, but uh, listen, who could say? I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Chiefs because I just can't I can't bear to to buy into the logic that the Ravens are going to win and then have them lose three straight games. It'll it'll. I'm with you. Hey, listen, listen for 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 all the hullabaloo around the fact that they haven't been able to get it done. They had to march into Kansas City to a raucous Arrowhead Stadium. The fans are going to be out. They're going to be cheering in Baltimore this time around. We got the advantage on our side. Oh wait, we do have the advantage on our side. Who? Yeah, I mean travel, all that stuff. I want to look at what the home home team splits are after next week because I do think that's a factor even this year. COVID is difficult to navigate as a traveling team. There's a lot of... As is traveling in general. I think, like, you know, some of those games, like, you look at that 2018 game, they should have won that. Like, it took a miracle play. Last year, I think they were more soundly beaten, but they were in that. And, you know, it maybe plays out on a more neutral playing field than they could have gotten the, the W there. And I, I was very... I was bearish on the Ravens heading into the game last year. I thought the Chiefs were going to whoop them. They kept it close. You did. You did. But I just... I'm not. I'm not picking the Ravens. It'll, I'm not going three straight years picking the Ravens three straight times to go into. No, we're gonna we're gonna roll up on Thursday night, and you're gonna be Michael Scott GIF. No question. I'm ready to get hurt again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you're gonna pick the Ravens. Exactly. But we'll see. It's gonna be a good game. They don't have Bashad Breeland. The Ravens don't have Tavon Young. Uh, we'll see what the what the injury reports are looking like. Ronnie Stanley gave us another heart attack second week in a row of that, and then comes back into the game after looking beaten down like he looked injured he looked not hurt injured when the way he was laying on the ground and i was like gotta get that guy in a cold tub or something and just 
work this stuff out? Uh, he that gave me a heart attack. We were discussing in the Slack chat. It was it was nightmare doomsday scenario. Wasn't great. Okay, bud. I think that is a show. Anything else before we get on out of here? Shout out Willie Sneed, Chuck Clark, LJ Fort. The guys doing the dirty work. Pat Ricard. Those guys are the the ones that do take you get trouble. I wouldn't even mention the Pat Ricard caught a touchdown either. I wouldn't even mention that. I'm a fool to do your dirty work. Oh no. I don't want to do your dirty work no more. Carter perspective. Ben Grubbs was the star offensive guard the year Yonda was drafted. Were they ben drafted the same year? I think Grubbs. No, no, no. Grubbs was a couple years before. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great, great guard in his own right, but Yonda ended up having a, a really nice career. He did. Are we getting out of here? Yeah, let's get out of here. That was a fun one. We appreciate you guys for listening. We'll have the Venmo contest up again on Twitter. I appreciate it. I'm going to be doing an article this week. I'm going to get into LJ Fort and Willie Sneed. I want to look at those guys, get get their tape. We'll see when the All-22 comes out. If it's Thursday again, uh, you'll hear my te- you'll hear my tears on Twitter. So. I think uh, Ted Nugent is going to lead some sort of revolt against uh, the NFL headquarters if that takes place again, because that was a, a mega tough scene there for film Twitter. Myself included. I mean, because it was like, okay, well, if you're not going to release it, when when do you plan on it? Can you tell us, like, so we can plan around that? Not for nothing. Your job kind of like depends on that too, as do many other people. So you know, not to necessarily make light of it, but it was kind of uh, an interesting scene watching the uh, Twitter streets just burn down over that. And I was pissed too, man. I I wanted to get in there. Yeah, get in there. Get your get your get your feet dirty. Oh yeah. Okay. Stomp on some grapes. Make some wine. Is that a show? That's a show. That's a wrap. Ravens 2-0. Kansas City coming in. Exciting stuff. We'll try and do a big mailbag on the old Instagram. And uh, can, can you get another couple episodes? Appreciate you guys. And that does it for me. Well, yeah, that does it for me as well. Re- really appreciate you guys tuning in for this Sunday night re- recap pod that is going to be posting to Monday morning. So appreciate everyone listening on YouTube and to you guys that uh, – or popping it on for the commute on that Monday morning show. Uh, you can follow the show on social at Podcast Beatdown on Twitter. I'm at Jake Luke. That's L O U Q U E. Spencer is at, at Ravens for Dummies. That's the number four in the middle. Follow the uh, Instagram page, uh, Baltimore underscore Beatdown. Like he mentioned, we're going to be doing some mailbag stuff there through the IG stories. So be sure to be following that. Check us out on Facebook, Baltimore Beatdown for Baltimore Ravens fans. And uh, check, check us out on YouTube if you haven't already for the uh, video versions of this show. Really appreciate you guys tuning in. Ravens are 2-0, and off to a good start, and uh, their work is just beginning. Chiefs are coming into town next week, so uh, we got to stay frosty. See ya. All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right, God bless. Hell yeah. <laughs>